creation of the quintet was an accident, as uh, many things are, jazz. The, uh, Stefan was visiting uh, Django in his dressing room at the Claridge. And Django was warming up to go on stage and Stefan casually started to improvise chords with him and thus was born the, uh, the quintet. Hear them now as they cover Hudson Mills' Tanang Chin. I owe you a big vote of thanks, Matt, because you I thought I'd seen Bee Monkey, which is a movie based on a novel by Andrew Davies, who's a very a hugely successful screenwriter and a guy I admire. He mostly does British TV stuff, including the uh, Amorous Adventures of Mole Flanders, one of my favourites, very peculiar practice, loads and loads of Austin adaptations. Anyway, the point is, I thought I'd seen this movie. I was certainly aware of it, but I don't think I could possibly have done and at your instigation, I've now seen it, and it's one of my favourite movies now, and I really loved it, so thank you. It was appallingly marketed. They just didn't know what to do with this one at all. Can I just say what this movie is? It's um, it's a love story. It's a kind of passionate, sexy, dark love story wrapped around a crime thriller, and it's just great. I could have marketed it. Well, I think anyone could have done if they'd have given a damn, but... It sat on the shelf, I think it sat on the shelf two years before it even got released. Um, they made it in 96, didn't get released till 98. Well, I don't know everything about this movie. Is, I mean, it's a bit it's a bit of an oddball movie, but everything is great. Michael Radford's direction, the photography, was just wonderful. I love this movie, and the music's very good too. Well, it's definitely, I mean, you can tell when you watch it, and certainly if you watch the trailer, you'll see that it, the, the film itself has been edited to hell and back. Um, in the two years that it sat on the shelf, it was out of his hands for some time and he's never been terribly happy about it. But yes. part of the reason for that um, is that this is a Miramax film. Um, yeah. And, Today, well, unhappily. This is the elephant in the room. We've got to go through this because this is the film that in many ways triggered the downfall of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, what, 20 years later, 30 years yeah. later? Well, I mean, yeah, the impact is phenomenal, but it's also the reason why I suspect you'll never see this on Blu-ray. Well, let me let's just start by naming the cast. Can we? So it stars Asia Argento is is the big star in this. And can I just say, I know that we're going to get into the sexual politics of this and the terrible things that happened as a bit of background, but just watching this as a movie with her in it, uh, I was captivated by her and instantly fell in love with her, and I know you did too, and. The reason you love this movie is because in the movie she's in love with a guy and he's ginger and you're ginger and he's in well, love with a guy and he's a jazz small time jazz DJ and I'm a small time jazz DJ. So no wonder we both love this movie. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's part of the problem with the film, with the script. Um, we talked about this on email. But well, I, you, I, I, you said email. that and I'm not sure I buy into that, but I, I could see I could see, see that point of view. Certainly. Yeah. It's middle-aged writer's wish fulfillment of uh, you know, nerdy guy ends up with 
an incredible scorching like crazy girlfriend right yeah can i just say this movie to contextualize it for people who know nothing about it this movie i suddenly realized that it strongly it's very similar that makes it sound like it's deliberately similar you could draw strong comparisons with true romance and i think that this is better i think if you love true romance you should watch this movie because it's the same thing but better that's kind of the way i see it it's true romance with cockneys yeah, it's not. It's it's low budget. It's. Uh, it it's, never reads as low budget. It looked lavish to me. It looks so beautiful, like the the photography in London. Then they go up to the north of England, and then it's still gorgeous. They go down to the cliffs at Dover, and it's gorgeous. They go to Paris, and it's gorgeous. It's magnificently shot. I'd please, love to see a director's cut. Yeah, please. Um, can we credit the cinematographer? Is that something we could do? I I don't know who it was. Um, they were genius. It was it's a, Ashley Rowe. Beg your pardon. Ashley Rowe. I've never heard of them, but they're wonderful. Uh, Ashley is a she. Did Hot Fuzz, Alfie, the remake? I'm assuming. <laughs> well, she's magnificent. What a great photographer. Uh, loads and loads of telly. Oh, she did some Doctor Who. She deserves better than television. This is a great movie, but as you say, it was not a great commercial success. Well, um, Weinstein had a bee in his bonnet about it quite early on. And I don't know if you've ever sort of read much in the way of interviews with people who work with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, most Miramax productions have I this. read Raging Bulls and there's a book called, what's it called? Do you remember what it's called? I, I couldn't help you on this one. Yeah. But it's basically so... he had this, this power thing, this power trip thing that any film he would cut 10 minutes from. Um, and he would just do this constantly with absolutely any film. Every single filmmaker, he would cut 10 minutes from it and say it made it better. So most directors that have worked with him a lot, people like uh, Kevin Smith, for example, would deliberately include stuff yeah. that could be cut, which yes. makes perfect sense. Radford hadn't really had this experience up to this point. So the film gets chopped up in his absence for over two years. I mean, usually this is something you do, you know, a few months before release, but to have it sat on a shelf for two years is an issue. Um, they also clashed on casting. Uh, initially, uh, Beatrice, who is Arjo Argento in the film, eventually... Beatrice. Beatrice, whichever way you want to go. Uh, initially, that was going to be played by Thandie Newton, who we should now call... Tandyway, Tandyway Newton. Oh, well, well that, um, inter- that would have been an interesting piece of casting, yeah. Well, what happened was, um, Arjo Argento was up for Mission Impossible 2. Oh, my God. And she missed out on Mission Impossible 2 to Tandyway Newton. Right. Um, then when Michael Caton Jones was fired from Bee Monkey, who was originally now, going to do the director. So, hang on. Oh, so he was the director. Okay, cool, cool. Um, they were originally going to have Newton as the star of Bee Monkey. Uh, but they dropped her and picked up Aja. But in the meantime, they also considered Sophie Ocanido, who at the time wasn't a huge name, much bigger name now than she was then. Um, but Ocanido um, was declared unfuckable by Harvey Weinstein. Well, lucky her, can we just say. Unfortunately, no, because all three of them later on um, had successful cases against Weinstein uh, as part of the Me Too movement. And Arja Argento, who instigated that process with her interview with the New York... New Times, Yorker. The New, New Yorker, Yorker, I believe. 
um, this was the film that she was referring to. So she she was the initial whistleblower, wasn't she? She was the first person yes. to break ranks. She was. Well, because it's interesting, she was. Um, but from an American point of view and from a Hollywood point of view, it all comes back to Rose McGowan because that's the actress they knew. They recognised her, they knew her. Yeah, well, this was a British film and a, uh, an Italian actress and they didn't know her from Adam. Exactly. So this was yeah. where everything kicked off. But what's interesting is I was reading um, the book Profondo Argento, which is about Dario Argento and his career. Yeah. And there's a, a small chapter in that. Uh, the book's by Alan Jones, and it's about Arge Argento. And he's quoted, this was 2004, this book came out. And it says, quite what happened during filming is the stuff of scandalous legend. But Radford took a far too keener interest in Arja than she was prepared for. Now, what's interesting about that is that that doesn't mention Weinstein. That mentions Radford. And Weinstein has been known to badmouth Radford since production. And I think what happened was that Weinstein maybe spread rumours about Radford. I've been trying to chase this up. I've tried to contact Michael Radford. I've tried to contact Alan Jones. Neither of them got back to me before we did the podcast. Yeah, but maybe um, they will. Just out of curiosity of what was occurring here. But the whole thing is quite a tangled mess, and it's a fascinating point in time. Uh, well, if you had told me that Asia Argento and the director Michael Radford had had a burning affair during the making of this movie, I, it would have made sense because the camera loves her and she's phenomenal in it. I, I mean, she's... Well, Radford was just coming off a divorce at the time and was yeah. in a bit of a, a low personal sort of position, situation. So, yeah. Marry interesting would be my advice, Michael. Well, interestingly, I was looking him up. He's fluent in a number of languages, including Italian, which is probably why he works so well with her because he can direct her in both she's languages. She's so good in this. Because, look, okay, so obviously she's beautiful and she's very sexy, which I know is... Uh, discordant thing to say because of what we're getting into but also she's just has this incredible appeal she's a really good actress and uh, very very effective but she just has tremendous appeal do you know what I mean she's just got this kind of quality of of kind of um tough vulnerability she does have appeal I think I don't think she's as good an actress then as she is now well my god she must be good now because she was very good then well interestingly she she did go on to direct and every time she directed she cast herself as the star and as she said this was based on her uncle's advice which was it's much cheaper to hire yourself as a star yeah. than to hire a star yeah. and that's you know then you've got more money for your production so plus it's easier to it. direct well i think we, um, this could be the start of a deep dive into the career of asia argento yeah, it's a, it's a murky world there's not a lot of good films in there unfortunately is um, this the best because this is a great movie it's the most accessible. Certainly her own output. Um, she did Scarlet Diva, which is about um, an actress who is uh, assaulted on a film set. <laughs> she God. did this almost immediately after this film. Um, that's worth watching now. So looking on, at that, she, you're saying that her, her directorial debut was almost immediately after this film? Yeah. I'd love to see It's a fascinating that. film to watch. It's not yeah. a terribly... Uh, what's the word? Actually, it's more interesting now than it was when it came out. When it came out, it didn't really have much bearing. When you look at it now, with the foreknowledge that we know about Weinstein and everything else that's yeah. going on at the time, it's fascinating, and you can really read between the lines. And you think, Christ, how did she get away with this? Well, let's let's watch that movie. Can I just say that though the cast in this is exemplary because the her love interest I mentioned, Ginger GJ, is Jared Harris. Yeah, and he's he's an extremely good actor who recently appeared in the, the miniseries Chernobyl, Chernobyl to yeah. tremendous effect. Anyway, he's great. 
then we've got Rupert Everett, who's marvellous. I mean, he's being Rupert Everett, but he's marvellous. And... I think he's underused in this. I've got a feeling he may have been a victim of the cuts. Well, I, I think in story terms, he's as, as much as he can be. And then the guy whose name I just asked you for, I'm sorry, I've lost it already. Jonathan Rhys Myers. Jonathan Rhys Myers in an early film. Uh, he'd go on to do, a, he's almost, he's so young, he's almost not recognisable as Jonathan Rhys Myers. But they're all really, really good. They are. And you, you've got a couple of much smaller roles as well. We, we've been discussing, there may possibly be a little interview on the end of this with Julie T. Wallace who plays Mrs. Sturge, the mother of um, the troubled boy oh, in Harris's class. Well, I was class. thinking, who is that actress? Because she she's, makes a big impression in a small role. So, okay, Matt mentioned that this was a middle-aged writer's wish fulfillment. So it's about a not particularly handsome or glamorous uh, school teacher, primary school teacher, and uh, he ends up uh, having this wonderful affair and, and living happily ever after, as far as we can tell. Spoiler alert. With this gorgeous bank robber. Well, okay, she mostly robs jewellery stores. She's an armed robber. She's beautiful. She's called Beatrice, known as Bee Monkey. She has a tattoo of a monkey on her arm. And she is Asia Argento. So that's the basic setup of this movie. It is. There's a, a noticeable difference between the book and the film. In the, Something that's lost in the film is the reason for her name, Monkey, the nickname. Uh, they do mention it. They say it's because she can get in anywhere. Yeah. But... There's no evidence of that in the film because in the film she basically just kicks doors in she or smashes, just walks into places. Smashes things, <laughs> smashes jewelry cabinets with glass. It's with far less bars. subtle. <laughs> so, so in the book, is she is she foreign in the book? Um, I, I believe she's mixed race, which would explain why Sophie Okonedo and, and um, Tandy Way Newton were in yeah, the frame. Yeah, uh, Sophie Okonedo yep. would have been an interesting choice on this. I can see it working with her because she has that cockney drawl and a, a style of delivery that I think would serve B quite nicely. The weird thing with the character as written is that if you had a conventional actress with a, a, a regular speech pattern, I think it would be less convincing. I think that broken speech that Argento has is actually really endearing to the character. Uh, endearing is a good word for her. I really uh, Especially her. I when she swears. I like her swearing fits. It's always like... you fucking fuck fuck and the things yeah. like that. it's just the repetition works really well and there's i think the script is very good and it's not by andrew davis he had no hand in the script it's by two people a man and a woman i believe michael radford had a go and then it's chloe king and michael thomas right also contributed the script is very good the dialogue is excellent there's a bit where um alan who's jared harris is sort of talking talking about his life to be monkey and he says uh my parents are very disappointed in me. I, I ended up teaching primary three. And she said, oh, what did they want? They wanted you to teach primary four. <laughs> it's just great. It's really cool. I really like the scene. Um, there's uh, Alan wakes up in uh, Beatrice's, what he thinks was Beatrice's house at night. Yeah. And in the morning he wakes up with, and Paul is there. He's, uh, he's, in, a, he's in bed with somebody who's covered with, with bedding and he doesn't know who it is and he thinks it's Beatrice and it's, Everett wanders over to him and says, um, wasn't it pretty, all those boats bobbing up and down like that? That's right. <laughs> just thinking that he's shagged him the night before is quite relieved to know uh, that he didn't. But, yeah, um, I, I, but again, he just can't remember, but he, that's, that's business as usual. It's a great intro line. <laughs> so is that is his character Paul or Bruno? Uh, Paul. Uh, Bruno right. is the younger guy. That's Jonathan Rhys-Myers. Yeah, who's sort of his um, protege. So these he's two... He's the spanner in the works for the most part. Everything's wrong because of him. Yeah, so... Paul and Bruno are uh, the accomplices. Beatrice 
Beatrice's accomplices in crime, basically. Mm. And yeah. they're lovely cat. Well, uh, Bruno's not such a great character, but Paul is classic Rupert Everett. He's very loose. <laughs> he's very dissolute. He's he's kind of always smoking, often smoking a joint. He's occasionally playing the piano. He's looking very kind of posh and, and very, hard. I say Noel Coward, but more like Oscar Wilde. And he has some great lines because he, towards the end of the film, when our hero and heroine are safe in a cottage up 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 in the north of England, he brings trouble to their doorstep. And he's, he says... He says something like, you're not going to kick me out, are you, Alan? You've got a heart of gold and you went to a good school. Well, good-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Have we done uh, De La Morte, De La Mort? Or uh, it's known as Cemetery Man, I think it is. No, but uh, having seen Rupert Everett being so good in this, that I thought we should do that soon. I think we should. Um, he's, I, I think that's a career high for him. It's not a great film, but he's superb in it. He's he's always very watchable and he's terrific. I mean, I've seen him in things like My Best Friend's Wedding and all kinds of stuff. He's basically playing the same kind of d dissipated uh, um, aristocratic character, but he does it beautifully. And he's very good in uh, Subtrinians. <laughs> <laughs> but I think everybody's note perfect in this, and the photography's magnificent. London has never looked better. London at night looks great in this movie. That's always a frustration for me. It's like Richard Curtis films where London's made to look nice when it isn't. It's horrible. But I think France looks amazing, and that jazz club looks terrific. Everything's good. Look, you just got you've got a lot of a long list of things you don't like, including London. London looks wonderful in this movie, and it's just, but everywhere looks great. There's a bit I mentioned. Where they're, I assume it's Dover. They they park their car by the cliffs, and the <laughs> photography is just it, the composition's magnificent because you get the car sitting on the green grass and you get the white cliffs in the background and the blue sky. It's well, an wonderful amazing sequence shot. that as well because she's uh, Beatrice has picked him uh, picked Alan up from school in a, a Mercedes or I think it's a Mercedes. It's a, a Jaguar or something. Yeah, and she takes him out for a drive and they go out for a nice romantic day out and they're parked up at the cliffs and she starts tinkering with a Porsche that's pulled up next to him or something that's pulled up next to him. He says, oh, I really like that car. That's his big mistake. Yeah, and she starts fiddling with it. He says, what are you doing? She says, well, they're probably looking for the other car by now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very good line, yeah. He's a bit of a wet blanket all the way through. He's a funny character because, like, she jumps into bed with him almost right away and he kind of he kind of refuses to... to he, I think he has the wind taken out of his sails because she's so sexually... Um, aggressive oh absolutely and, that's exactly what happens yeah yeah but and i just he, yeah, but he's not even very nice to her you just think this wonderful woman has fallen you know into your arms and, and you're just not handling this well mate well it's because she's so sexually aggressive he's a romantic and she's never dealt with a romantic before she's always that's dealt with... probably clear in the book because it doesn't come across yeah. like that in the film so much it just seems like he's just uh you know just out, sexually outgunned and doesn't know what to do. That's why it's such a big deal when they meet up, uh, when they go to the club and they dance and everything's calm and quiet and peaceful. That's when he is ready for action. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's what brings amazing, it on. Um, quite an amazing you know, scene, yeah. Her approach doesn't work, his approach does. And so, yeah, I think that's quite well handled, actually. The whole movie's well handled. I just thought this movie deserved big success because everybody delivers. The director, the, the writer, the music's extremely good. I didn't really register much of the original score. There's a, there's a lot of 
songs in it. Now he's a jazz DJ, so you, one of the re- things you lured me into this with was the promise of jazz. There is that. Unfortunately, I know you're not a big Reinhardt fan, so I I, I kept that from you. <laughs> no, but there, there's but it's mostly Django Reinhardt, isn't it? No, there's there's tons of jazz, but there's tons of other pop songs, and all of them quite well deployed. It's no, notably um. A cover of Van Morrison's Tupelo Honey, sung by Cassandra Wilson, but it's full of wonderful songs, and I just thought I would buy the soundtrack album to this movie in a heartbeat if there was one. But there, there was no, nothing like that. This movie was underpromoted. You said there wasn't even a movie tie-in of the novel. There wasn't a VHS release either. The VHS release came about four years after the film dropped at the cinema, um, and the DVD, like I said, I don't think there's been a UK one, but there was a region one, and I think the one you picked up, you said, was Dutch. Yeah, well, the thing is, you as soon as I'd just I was halfway through this movie and I was already falling in love with it, and you said and, and falling in love with Asia Argento, to be frank, and you said the D, the DVD is quite hard to find. So I went online. And I immediately bought triumphantly what I thought was the, the same one you had, the American DVD, and it, it looks very similar, but it turns out to be a European release. But it's got the English soundtrack even as the default, and so anybody who's looking for it, look for the the red Dutch release, and you'll be okay. And it's it's well worth having. I thought it was great. And you were bad-mouthing the quality of the DVD transfer, but it, on my perhaps fairly rubbish TV, it looked magnificent. It's all right. At least it's anamorphic. Oh, I would love to get hold of a Blu-ray, so I hope they do do a Blu-ray. But I think Radford's an underestimated director. All I knew him uh for was 1984 and perhaps some tv work what else did he do could you tell oh, well, he me did uh il postino oh my uh, god the, hence the, Italian, the and he also did French. dancing at the blue iguana shortly after this i think that well, hang on that's daryl hannah isn't it oh, it's everyone in that no You've and jennifer white, tilly daryl hannah um white mischief it was greta skaki isn't it yeah and charles dance well i listen i need to see some more radford because he did a great job on this, really great. Um, well, I'm about to rewatch Dancing with the Blue Iguana, but I'm not sure it's one that would particularly. Well, actually, it's strippers, of course, you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm forming the impression that, that he's um, that he's a really interesting dr- British director of this period. I think he's outstanding. I'd love to speak to him about this film just to get some better idea of what happened. I was thinking, Matt, if there was a book about the making of this movie, I would love to read it because it's such a great movie. I think it would be a pretty unpleasant read for the most part, given the Weinstein situation. Well, I mean, but there were obviously... there. Did you tell me that um, Jared Harris and Asia Argento actually had an affair while they are making this movie? I never said that. No, that's no. So, no, <laughs> it's just that... Uh, that they're on-screen lovers, not off-screen lovers. Mm-hmm. No, but I think that the movie's so well made and there's such talent involved. I think a lot of people must have had a good time on this movie, although there are these dark well, just aspects. All of the interviews with her, she can't praise the film highly enough. She said, it could, partly because it's, I think it's one of the first things she did without her dad on set. So to her, it felt like the first proper work she'd done as an actress. Wow. Prior to that, it always felt like she was you know helping dad out with a film. Yeah. <laughs> and... She said that being directed in this by someone else, she suddenly realised that there's a lot more to acting than she thought. And we know from Argento's films that he's not an actor's director at all. Um, that is absolutely the least of his worries on set. Can we just briefly mention some of the Dario Argento movies which we've done in our podcast? 
Oh, I don't know which ones are released, but we've done... Uh, Te- I think you just released Tenebrae this week, didn't Tenebrae, you? Tenebrae, Suspiria, Cat and Nine Tales. Profondo Rosso, did we do that? Phantom of the Opera, Profondo Rosso. We've done quite a few, haven't we? <laughs> I didn't realise we'd done Tenebrae and Profondo Rosso, God. Mm. We've still got Bird with the Crystal Plumage to go, but I think you're yeah. waiting for that special edition to come out. So right? we have done a lot of Dario Argento. So, yeah, so people, please do check them out. He's a great Italian film director, mostly of thrillers, of gialli. But obviously yeah. we did uh, Phantom of the Opera, which was the one that starred Aja as well. Yeah. And um, I don't know how well you remember that, but she wasn't great in that. But it no, was a she wasn't script. great, and also she was just a small cog in a big machine. In that, in this, this is she, she owns this movie pretty much. Yeah. Be monkey. I think possibly we should do um, the heart is deceitful above all things, which was her directing and starring. Um, it's a horribly grim film, but it's it's very well made. I think she did a good job of it. And the the, the diva diva one that you mentioned, Scarlet Diva, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've got that. I'll have to dig a copy out. But do we want to say more about Bee Monkey? I like the th- so what happens in Bee Monkey is, of course, our school teacher falls in love with this armed robber and she decides to reform and th- 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 so that they can be happily in love together. Now, of course, this being a movie, we know what's going to happen. We know that her past is going to come back and haunt her, which it does, but not before our school teacher hero takes a job up in is it the Yorkshire Moors or up north somewhere in the yeah Carmarthen I think yeah and but the hilarious thing is when he goes for the job interview there's this very kind of um uh northern old stuffy old chap that makes a pass at him it's really well, that, funny that actor is Brian Pringle I love Brian Pringle he was the darling of sitcoms he basically did um sitcoms or he would play a gangster so those were his two big things. And this is quite an odd role for him. I think probably I would imagine one of his last as well. But yeah, his come on in the toilet is wonderful. It's brilliant. And I think I thought that has to be that smacked of Andrew Davies to me of his brand of humour. Do you know if it's in the book? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so that I think there's more made of it in that because the whole cottage that he's got, I think, is something that he was using for other purposes. It's his shag nest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, oh, I think I have to another... shout out for the um, the set design in this, the, the art direction, because when they take over the cottage and like Be- Beatrice paints one of the rooms blue and it's blue and gold, it's this gorgeous environment, and the rich kind of um, bohemian uh, colors and uh, decorations of many of the sets, especially at Paul's place combined with the crime story aspect of this and the violence made me think that this is a very interesting companion piece to set beside performance the donald camel nick rogue movie with mick jagger in it it bears <laughs> interesting comparisons with that film there's loads of nice touches in that in this and one i really like is um when alan's uh being interviewed for the job of the primary school uh, in yorkshire i said come and it's not come and it like it begins with c but i can't remember it's, it's in wales yeah. um one of the things that you notice with primary schools is that all the furniture is designed for the kids. Nothing's designed for adults. And when he's waiting to be interviewed, all of the other applicants are out in the corridor, but they're all sitting on the stairs or the floor. No one's sitting yeah. on a chair. And it's such a nice touch. And it's not you know, a necessity of the location they were filming at. It's, just, it's clearly a decision they've made, but it's a really nice touch that it's only a brief glimpse of them outside the door, all the other applicants there, but it works really well. And you mentioned the uh, the actress who played 
the mother of a troubled child at the London school. She really made a big impression on me. Judy because... T. Wallace. What made me laugh is on Twitter when I mentioned that to her, she said she asked which role it was. She said, "Was that another slag?" <laughs> oh, this was the, the this was the mummer of all slags. Yeah, who's who's beating up her her little boy? There's this whole subplot about his school life, which it, it's kind of vaguely important in plot terms. But I felt that that you were talking about you thought that there should have been more of the Rupert Everett character. I didn't think so, but I thought that there could have been a bit less of, of uh, Jared Harris's school days, of Alan's school days. Well, I think that's there because it needs something to trigger uh, Beatrice to... in his real life rather than his extracurricular life. Yeah, it does So she has to get stuff. involved with the school at some point. So because she goes in and aggresses the parents of Ricky... Yeah, so what happens um, is this little boy attacks another boy in class and... The reason he does that is he's very disturbed because he's constantly being beaten at home. But the mother, who's responsible for this, deflects by blaming all the beatings on Alan, the school teacher. Yeah. And to sort this out, Beatrice goes around to the mother's house with, uh, I was going to say, with Bruno. She takes right? Bruno, but with this Bruno. is the whole point: is that Bruno says, "I'll do it, but only if you'll do it." Yeah, this is her devil's deal isn't it her, yeah. her faustian deal but they they turn up at the house and say uh, we're with social services right it's just really great well i like the line as well when um she's talking to alan later and he's saying what happened she goes we went around we had a lovely cup of tea and a chat and it was all fine <laughs> yeah the dialogue in this is really sharp this is a terrific first-rate movie uh, and nobody's ever heard of it and it's it's also a crowd-pleasing movie because as I say, it's a passionate love story in which the lovers are put in great peril and then they come through. I don't see what's not to love about this movie. And it's a nice quick resolution as well. There's no cat and mouse bollocks or standoffs or anything like that. It's over pretty quickly. Yeah, but and now here's the thing. Um, Paul's car is not a Rolls Royce, but it's something like that. It's a vintage. Do you know what it is? Any idea? No, I've got a clue. Lovely old white car. And I thought they should have kept that car because the, 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 there's one plot loose end. They are left with a bunch of dead bodies and two cars. And Bruno is a sort of magic helper. He takes away the dead bodies in one of the cars, but they're left with the other car. I would have kept the white. I would have kept Paul's car for sure. Yeah, it's tougher to service an old car like that. <laughs> okay, no, there's a practical reason. But yeah. I love this movie, and I kept you know when they left London and went up to Yorkshire I thought oh that's the end of the lovely photography but they found these f fabulous rhapsodic lyrical shots of the Yorkshire locations this is a top Something, top movie another Aja moment I love is when she's with the other wives the other Yorkshire wives and they're the watching cricket, cricket match <laughs> she's just joining and what is it they're saying that oh that looked plum to me and she's going oh, I am me <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's a brilliant brilliant <laughs> character moment and it's it's very telling in terms of her being integrated into the community, isn't it? I don't know how long that relationship will last. Forever, and they're going to have kids and, and live happily ever after. I don't think so. I can't he, see her resting wrong, in that village. But he generally is, so nobody <laughs> need worry about that. Thank you for introducing me to this movie. I really want to strongly urge people to go and see it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the best way of accessing this is for people. There's a lot of... German DVDs easily available, but some of those are are not English language, so you've got to be careful when you when you're buying them. Basically, the blue ones you have to the ones that have blue covers you've got to be a bit careful with, and if it's got a red cover, you're probably okay. So there's an easy rule of thumb for you. Bee Monkey is um, like Brigadoon on Netflix. It turns up for sort of a week or so and then vanishes again. Oh, it's so on it's Netflix. Worth, well, that's a great way for people to see it. 
It's not on there at the moment, but it will be because it just comes and goes all the time. And full marks for the Brigadoon metaphor. <laughs> so, yeah, um, glad you liked it. Sorry, simile. <laughs> I, no, I loved it, man. I really, really love this movie and I could watch it again. And I, as I said, I immediately went out and bought it. I just thought it was great. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Does he love you? I think so, yeah. Would he die for you? Because I'd die for you, you know that, B. I know. <laughs>